When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah. That plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. You're listening to the Celtic Soul Podcast with me, Andrew Millen. And you're all very welcome to episode 14. My guest on the show will be Australian rugby league player Keith Galloway. This episode has been kindly sponsored by BC Services, Tax Consultants, Kentstown County Mead. And I would like to thank Brian Cunningham for his continued support over many years. The powers that be at the FEI wanted Liverpool great Bob Paisley. But after yet another cock-up by leading officials, Ireland got big Jack Chanton. And what a brilliant cock-up it turned out to be. A working-class hero who never forgot his working-class roots and will always be remembered for his support of the miners' strike after he walked for a short time down the mines with his own father. A World Cup winner with England in 1966, a one-club man playing his full career for Leeds United, where he played against Celtic and Bobby Mordock, who he would pair in midfield with a young Graeme Souness when he was manager of Middlesbrough. Earl had never been to a major championship when Jack took over, but once we qualified for the Euros in 1988, the whole country became part of Jackie's army, including some staunch GAA men. The Glasgow Irish were celebrating when Ray Houghton, the boy from Castle Milk, put the ball in the English net. Celtic centenary boys, Packy Bonner, Mick McCarty, Chris Morris would all represent Ireland under Jack, as would Tommy Coyne. I interviewed Ray Houghton a few years ago in Portleash, and the drive up and down to the gig with Ray was a joy as he told me endless stories about the great era when Jack was in charge. Points, Euro 88, World Cups, the crack, open-top buses, credit union loans, packed pubs, dancing in the street, a sea of green, and a snapper on TV. All memories that spring to my mind when I think of those years. Big Jack, RIP, thanks for the memories, the hangovers, and making us feel proud to be part of your army, making us proud to be a nation. Let's hope your legacy can inspire Stephen Kenny and the current Irish boys to qualification for the Euros. Here's how I got on earlier on when I chatted to Keith Galloway. Keith Galloway can thank his dad for his love of Celtic. 
His dad was born in Scotland and emigrated to Australia, where he married his mum, who comes from good Irish stock, or so I'm informed. He played at the highest level of rugby league in Australia and finished his career recently with the Leeds Rhinos in England. Hello, Keith. You're very welcome to the Celtic Soul podcast. Cheers, Andrew. Uh, good to be on, mate. So how has life been in lockdown in Australia? Yeah, mate, it's... Uh, we sort of... You know, coronavirus, I don't think it hit as bad, well, not yet anyway, as, as it did to Europe and, and, and obviously, you know, other parts of the world. So we had a little bit of a lockdown, but... Um, I've been working through it. I've been. Uh, I've got a job that's sort of been deemed as essential over here, so I've, I've sort of worked worked through it. And um, yeah, things are sort of slowly coming back to normal. But um, you know, there's 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 rumours and of a second wave coming and, and whatnot. So we'll just see what happens. Eh? So as I said, Keith, born in Australia, Scottish and Irish connection. Your dad's influence has obviously been to get you into the hoops. And I had the chance of watching them with you when you were playing for Leeds, and you come up to Glasgow. What's the earliest memories of Celtic and, you know, how were you influenced by your dad? Yeah, mate, I, I sort of, um, you know, as a, as a young kid, I was obviously interested in my dad's sort of background and, and Scotland and, and stuff like that. And um, I just remember him talking about Celtic and, and stuff like that. And he wasn't a massive Celtic fan or anything like that. But, um, you know, me and my brother sort of, sort of probably probably Henry Glass in those days, you know what I mean, back in the back in those years. And, um Ever since then, I've been a fan, and I was lucky enough to um, live over there playing rugby in, in Leeds in England there, and um, was fortunate and very lucky enough to get up to Glasgow and watch watch a fair few games, which was a, a lifetime ambition. Couple of beers with the boys, yeah, mate. You were there. I enjoyed a few beers with you. <laughs> Some good there, uh, and, and a good curry in the Bombay Blues. Oh yeah, it's, it's good down there, right? Eh? <laughs> uh, we did some crack. Now the fixtures are out. But obviously, we kick off behind closed doors, and I suppose. For us over here, we will have the chance to get together and watch in the pub, maybe. Like over there, do you know me for a game or for a big game? Would you get out to the pub? Do you get down to a supporters club? Or? Yeah, occasionally I'll, I'll go into the um, the Sydney Celtic Supporters Club, a cheers bar there in the city. But um, a lot of the time, it's, it's watching at home or um, yeah, pretty much watching at home. Which is, you know, I've got I've got a couple of young children and, and stuff like that, and. You know, I work a lot of weekends now with my job, so it gets a bit hard to sort of to get out and, and get to the bars. But um, when I do, it's mainly for one of the bigger games. I'll try, I'll try and get into the city, into the supporters club. And with the time difference, what time? We say just say for a typical three o'clock kickoff. What time would that be like over now? Uh, that, that would probably come on three o'clock. That that would that would be about two or three in the morning. Pretty, it's it is pretty hard times to sort of watch it. You know, when we when we play that other team on the other side of Glasgow, it's um it's normally it's an earlier game for us down here. It's it's either it's because it's a midtime kickoff over there. It could be when daylight savings in our favour, the game could come on at ten o'clock, ten o'clock in uh, early in the season. The game, it starts at ten pm for us, which is pretty lucky. But you know, when daylight saving, when we go into winter here, it's a bit later. So it is unfortunate here in terms of uh, watching watching soccer over there, but. Well, football, you call it, yeah, but that, that, that's the way it is. I spoke to Jim Riley and Jim, I met Jim, I met him in Vegas and I met him, he was in Thailand when we done the festival in March from the Sydney Supporters Club and he was telling me a few bits and pieces but seems to be a good uh, good supporters club there and plenty of interest in Celtic. Yeah, well, mate, to be honest, I used to get there a lot of, a lot, a lot more before I had children but um, it's good crack in there, they're good lads, good people and, um, you know, they're, they're massive supporters, you know. A lot of them go over to the convention in Vegas um, each year and stuff like that. Pretty hardcore fans, so it's a, it's a good vibe. Is that why you met a friend of mine, Vina Breen? Yeah, yeah. I've had plenty, plenty of uh, late nights with Vina in there. He's, uh, he's a legend, Vina. I was, I was pretty sad to see him head back home when he went, went back, but um, 
he's a good man. He, he was a, he caught up with him plenty of times in uh, in Glasgow and, and, and going to games when I was over there. So, you know, he's, he's a good luck. Uh, I, like, I like Beno. He's a good crack. Uh, one of the Logan Celtic boys, top man. But uh, we will probably get you to spill some beans on him later on in the interview. <laughs> As we said, right, Keith, I'm no, I'm no expert in rugby league, but, but just for the listeners, could you give the listeners an introduction to your childhood, your career in rugby league, and any other kind of feelers that might just give them an introduction to you? Because this is, obviously this is an audio interview, so you know, we just yeah. want to get a feel for who you are. Okay, yeah. Well, you know, obviously I'm, I'm Australian, born in Sydney boy, so sort of rugby league's the biggest sport here in Sydney, in Australia. Um, in Sydney, New South Wales and Queensland, rugby league's the main sport. Played it since I was six, seven years old. You know, went pretty well, made all the sort of junior rep teams. Started the Cronulla Sharks, so I got graded there professionally at the Cronulla Sharks. Played there for a couple of years and then went over to the West Tigers. Played there for 10 years. Uh, while I was at the West Tigers, I was fortunate enough to um, play State of Origin which is New South Wales versus Queensland, which is a massive game over here. It's probably the most televised event in Australia, if not one in the top three. So that's a, that's a big, that's a, a massive sporting event in Australia. And that year I was also lucky enough to play for Australia. So we actually went over to England and played against England, New Zealand uh, in a sort of tri-series, tri-nations event over there. So rugby league is pretty much um, a sport played predominantly in, in Australia, in New South Wales, Queensland. It originated in the north of England, so it's big there, in pockets of the north of England and New Zealand. Outside of there, the Pacific Islands, the Tongas and the Samoas and Fijis, they've always played it and they're growing, but um, outside of those sort of those regions, it's it's not so much. It's not too big on a world scale. It's a typical walking-class sport. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's, it's sort of, you know, well, it came from all the mining towns in the north of England and things like that, so they sort of broke away from rugby union and uh, rugby union... Over there and over here, it's 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 pretty much a private school sport, sort of pretty much the the so called upper upper class sport, where all the kids from sort of wealthy families and they go to private schools play that. But in rugby league's always pretty much been the working class game. Yeah, it's probably the same in Ireland. A lot of the would there would be community teams, but generally rugby union would be would be seen as maybe kids that would have uh, there wouldn't be many, I suppose, working class kids who would be playing in in the Ireland team or. You know, with Leinster or so forth, and maybe that's changing now. But there wouldn't be any sign of it. Whereas, I suppose over here, boxing and soccer, and as you say, soccer, we say football. But you know, and then we've got Gaelic sports as well. So we've Holland and Gaelic, which are the biggest. But recently, there's a few other sports have become a bit bigger because you know the, the influence of TV and and so forth. But basically, over here, I suppose our GAA is your rugby. Would rugby be the biggest sport in Australia? Mm. Well, gee, I thought, are you talking about AFL, like Australian AFL? Yeah, well, we, we, we've got GAA, which is our biggest sport, right? But over there, you've got, you know, you've got the AFL, which is Australian rules, which a couple of Irish boys yeah. go over and play. You've got rugby, boat codes, and obviously you've got cricket. So, like, which is the big one over there? So, New South Wales and Queensland are, are two states which are a, a rugby league. You know, very, very rugby league sort of states. Then the rest of Australia, like the, the Victorias where Melbourne is and Western Australia, South Australia, they're all sort of AFL. Yeah, it's it's, it's sort of certain re- – like New South Wales, Queensland rugby league and the rest of the country is pretty much AFL. But New South Wales obviously is the biggest biggest state. Sydney is the biggest city. And um, it's it's just how it is. I don't know how, how it started like that. But, yeah, AFL's played in the other. But rugby league? And, and AFL would be the two biggest sports. Cricket's a summer sport, so that's obviously played all, all throughout the whole of Australia. 
And what about football or soccer, as you call it over there? Like that growing, or is it a minority? It's, it, it is definitely growing. It's um, you know, we've sort of Socceroos of they're obviously not on. You know, they're not one of the top sides in the world, but it, it is growing. I, I remember as a kid. There would be rugby league fields everywhere. It'd be hard to find a soccer, a soccer field, but now it's probably the other way around. A lot of a lot of young kids are sort of playing soccer. Soccer's grown at, at a grassroots level, where rugby league's probably not as big. So it'll be interesting to see what the future holds in, in that department. Yeah, I spoke to Scott McDonald. Obviously, he's back over there playing now. We done him on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I think he's really enjoyed his his time back in Australia. But I think he's missing not the weather, but I think he's missing the the banter and. Maybe some of the crack he had in Scotland. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's it's just totally different, mate. Um, obviously the weather and and everything's for like you can't compare it. You know, I remember taking my brother over to Glasgow. I took him to an old firm game. So we left summer here. It was hot as and got over there. Got to Manchester. Then got a flight. Got a train up to from Manchester to to Glasgow. And it was like three or four in the afternoon. It was pitch black outside. He was going, "What the hell's going on here?" And I go, "Mate, this is weird. This is weird. This is weird in the UK." It's sort of pretty much unheard of here, you know. Like he couldn't believe it was pitch black at, at that time of the day. I said, "But that's what winter's like." But mate, the people over there and and the banter and, and stuffs, you know, it's it's first class in the UK. So I suppose to be close comparisons, like obviously when you were down in Leeds when you were playing with the Rhinos, a walking class sport, walking class team, you know. And then there wouldn't be a lot of, like when you come up down, and especially when you're knocking about with us in Glasgow, you know, it's a walking class group and points banter. So like, what was Leeds like, you know, from coming from Australia? Yeah, mate, Leeds is, um, in terms of rugby league teams, Leeds is probably the only big city that has a, has a rugby league or a, a top rugby league club. So it was a pretty good place to live. You know, it's a pretty big city, Leeds. There was plenty to do. People were unreal, mate. It was a really, really nice place to live. Everyone made you feel welcome. And countryside, you know, like, in obviously being a city boy living in Sydney, it's just a different lifestyle. Like, you drive out of the city, 10 minutes out of the city, there's castles, it's it's beautiful green, greenery. And I really enjoyed it, mate. It was it was. It was a nice, nice. It was a nice experience for a couple of years, and then obviously it come to an end. Injury has forced you out of the game. How hard has it been to adjust to? I suppose getting back from being, you know, a high-profile sports star to getting into the, I suppose, rejoining the rat race. Yeah, mate, I was, I was prepared for it. I knew it was coming. Um, I knew when I when I signed to go over to the to the, to the Super League over there that. I'd be there for a couple of years, two or three years, and and that would be my career done, you know. So it was it was the right it was, the timing was about the time I sort of expected to finish. I just did not expect to to finish my career with two bad injuries, but you know that's sometimes that's the cards you're dealt in life. And mate, I had a really good career, so I sort of I was ready for, ready to 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 retire in my way. But um, no, it's been all right, mate. I've sort of I'm, I'm working and and uh, working here now in Australia, and you know I'm a father of two children, so yeah, got I'm pretty busy now, so it's, it's not too bad. Do you miss the buzz? I do a little bit, but I, I, I never liked the limelight, mate. I, I, I always struggled. Um, not struggled, but I, I didn't like the attention being on me as a, as a so-called, you know, professional rugby league player and, and whatnot. So I sort of enjoy just sort of being a normal sort of person now, to be honest. So is that why you hung around with Ben O'Brien? Because he's so famous that, you know, he, he deflected the media away from you. Yeah, he took all the attention away from me, mate. So it was, it was yeah, that's what definitely why I hung out with him. <laughs> You, you broke into rugby league at a very young age, like, and obviously this is a podcast. But if you get a chance, have a look at Keith. He's a big boy, and he, you know, he's he's built like a brick shithouse. And um, <laughs> obviously, you've always been a big lad, and rugby is a tough sport. But you broke in at seventeen. Yeah, well, I was, yeah, I, was, I debuted pretty young as a player, so I was always a big kid, obviously. But um, yeah, I was, I was sort of, I was coming, I was actually at high school at the time, so I was seventeen. Um, 
in year 12, which is your last year of schooling here in Australia. And um, it was towards the end of the year and I sort of, you know, the, I was at the Cronulla Sharks and then and the coach just took me aside and he goes, look, mate, I'm going to give you your debut this week. And it was it was so surreal. It was it was against the New Zealand Warriors. So it was, and, and that year they had a really, really strong team. You know, they're all big sort of Kiwi and Islander boys. So it was a bit daunting, but, um, you know, it was, it was a pretty proud moment. So that's the equivalent of, I suppose, one of the youth players breaking into the Celtic Force team. Yeah, pretty much, you know. Obviously, yeah, like it's it's pretty much a, a young kid. I was I was in the junior levels, getting graded in the the top top team for that for that match, and I was I finished the last eight, eight games of the year. So it was uh, looking back now, mate. It's 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 pretty big big achievement and big honour. But yeah, so you like you played at the top level. You were telling me off air that like the Australian league would be probably stronger than than the English league, and then obviously to get your debut for Australia to play for your country. Was the highlight when you play like New Zealand, like because that's I suppose the closest to a Rangers Celtic game. I don't think anything compares to a Celtic Rangers game, obviously with the history and the the passion that sort of, especially from the fans and that. But um, if anything, it'd be like a New South Wales Queensland game. Any if you could compare it to anything, you know, that's two two different states. And if you look at the history of those games, if anyone gets a chance, have a look at past games or high, state of origin highlights and big hits and and fights. And it's been full of that. There's so much passion in that game. But um, I was lucky enough to play one game, the New South Wales against Queensland in 2011. Unfortunately, we didn't um, didn't get the victory. But it was it was a massive it was a massive moment in my career. And also that year, I was I toured the UK, so we played against England and, and New Zealand, which are probably you know two big two two big well the only big rivals rivals of Australia. I suppose Tonga is is growing. They're, they're sort of becoming an international force at the moment. A lot of players with Tongan ancestry are pledging allegiance to their mother country, so they're becoming strong now. But yeah, definitely Australia or New Zealand in terms of, of you know when you're playing for Australia, then two teams are, are fierce rivals as well. Yeah, you talk about big hits. Just from doing a little bit of research on you, you got sparked out, did you, when you were only a, like a young player in the game? Yeah, so it was pretty. It was a pretty bad shot. Um, it was like a flying elbow to my head. So. Um, I was knocked out. It was it was illegal. The, the bloke that done it copped about seventeen weeks suspension. So it's one of the biggest suspensions in in rugby league history. But it's not a good look for the game. But um, thankfully, those sort of things don't happen anymore. But you bounced back anyway. Yeah, mate, I got back up, mate. That's that's what life's all about, isn't it? You've got to keep getting up. Now, excuse my ignorance, Roy, but in football, once you play senior for your country, you can't change country. But you did have a chance to. You wanted to. And you had a chance to represent Scotland. How did that come about? And how does that work if you've played for Australia? Yeah, so in in, in rugby league, it's it's because it's not a, a, a like a well they have these in rugby league they have a thing called um, first tier nations, which are Australia, New Zealand, England, and I think I think Tonga might be one now. But it's um, you can't switch teams between those four teams, but you can you can join a developing you can you can uh, pledge allegiance to a developing nation. A rugby league nation, which is um, obviously Scotland's a developing, classified as a developing nation. Ireland, uh, Wales might be. All these sort of, there's a lot of teams, a lot of countries that are playing rugby league, but they're obviously not at the level of the Australia, New Zealand or England. So, and obviously having Scottish ancestry, uh, I wanted to try and play for them. After after I played for Australia, and uh, to be honest, I wasn't going to make the Australian team again. So I thought it'd be a good chance to sort of play for Scotland and try and help them boost their sort of national game. But um, injuries were unlucky to me, so I didn't get the chance to do that, but it was something I wanted to. So you couldn't fulfil that dream, but you, all, you as we said earlier on, you got the chance to travel up to Glasgow. 
take in a few matches and you then flew from Australia with your brother to take in a, a Rangers game in the cold after, after leaving the sunshine of, of Australia. You'd been up before. What did your brother think of the whole, you know, was that his first time coming to, to a game? No. So where did my brother Ryan, he came over. Um, so I played for Australia 2011. We toured and Ryan and dad actually went up and um, stayed in, so they based themselves in Scotland while I was with the Aussie team in, in England. So he came and went, but um, that would have been October, November time, I think. Yeah, no, he, he, he'd never been to a, a Celtic game before and he, he's a massive fan like myself. So I was going over there, I was going, and I, was, I said to him, I said, um, yeah, because we both sort of go for Liverpool as well and I had, a, had a, I had a connection to get a Liverpool, tickets to a Liverpool game. But obviously, the you know, once I told him I can get a, a, a ticket to the Celtic Rangers game, he um, I think that sort of won him over by flying over with me for a couple of weeks to come watch it. It's so different, I suppose. Glasgow's so different to Sydney. Well, not just the weather wise, but they're just different cultures. And when you when, when you go to see Celtic, them games are just they stand out. As you said earlier on, nothing beats it. Nothing compares to a Celtic Rangers game in rugby league. When you come over, but and you get caught up in the whole couple of days. For us, we're so close. Being in Ireland, of our mates that live in Scotland, when we get over, like we we can look forward to another one. But obviously, you're living in Australia, it's so far away. It must be a special thing. Like you must just take in everything for those couple of days. Yeah, it certainly does. Um, I was lucky enough to be in the Celtic at, at Albrox for a couple of games, and you know we beat them pretty convincingly when I was there. When I took my brother up, we're at Parkhead, and um, unfortunately it was a draw. But the atmosphere and you know the build up, and you know you wake up, you might have a couple of beers before the game, and you're pretty much at the game. And then yeah, it's, it's just the, the adrenaline, you know, walking walking to the game and. Everything about it, it's it's pretty amazing atmosphere. And can you draw any comparisons to playing in a big rugby league game, like the the buzz? Uh, well, state of origin, that's massive. Like the whole, pretty much the whole whole country stops for that. That's a big thing. But you know, I played a couple of semi-finals. Unfortunately, I didn't make a grand final. But they were big big events. Like the media's all the attentions on those sort of games. So, if anything, you could probably compare it to a state of origin or a finals match or something like that. You'd have an idea of what the pressure that the Celtic players are under going into it. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, you know what it's like in, in Scotland. It's Celtic, Celtic are the biggest club, and then obviously they're, they're, they're next. And then after them two, it's, it's it's a fair way. All the attention sort of on them two when they play each other. So, yeah, the media like that, on, on, I sort of could imagine, and I've sort of felt it a little bit, but probably not on their level. Obviously, you played at a high level the highest level you can play in rugby league. And then as a fan of, of Celtic, you, you can understand the pressure the players are under. But then it must be great as well that it's something that, you, you know, you're not in the media spotlight. No one knows much about rugby league in Glasgow. So Keith Galloway can be Keith Galloway. He's not Keith Galloway, the rugby league player that maybe was under scrutiny if he went out for a bill in Australia, in Sydney. Whereas, so now you can just let, well, you've no hair, but if you had, you could let it down. <laughs> Go here on my beard. But, um, yeah, definitely, mate. I um, the, the scrutiny that rugby league players are, are in here in Australia is it's it's crazy. They're every, like they're just in the paper. They're getting the spotlights on them. Like it's it's. I actually feel sorry for players these days playing the game because the media's the media's watching them like a hawk. But um, going back to that, obviously, how I said earlier that um, you know, I hated the spotlight and everything. Going up there and you know, no one knowing who you were and and stuff like that. It was awesome. Obviously, like. Pretty, I stood out because I was, you know, a lot taller than most of you Irish and Scottish <laughs> lads up there. But uh, it was awesome to sort of just blend in and be one of the boys and, you know, just be a supporter and, and, and get amongst it, you know. 
Yeah, I remember getting a picture with you, and uh, we were we were in the the Arto bar in the hotel, and uh, I'm no shrinking violet. I'm not the smallest man in the world, but it's nice to be with someone bigger than me. But then there's a classic picture of yourself, a little Tim McCann from Armagh. The Tim's probably the smallest fan I know, and you're the biggest fan I know. So that's a that's a quality picture. I must actually look that out and get it up on the social media for the listeners to have a look at. And we just said we we had a great crack, and like you just fitted in, like you know, there was no. Obviously, we were a bit more noticeable, you know, when we were walking up to the door of a pub or whatever. But you just fitted in and enjoyed yourself. And I suppose it's the same when, like, when you go out to watch a match in Sydney. But you think, like, social media now has, okay, a lot of players use it and a lot of celebrities use it for their own advantage as well. But back in the day when I interviewed players, they were comfortable sitting in a pub with the fans, having a drink or a sing-song or what. But now the modern-day players, they just can't do anything because at any stage someone can video them, someone can take a picture of them. Within seconds, it's all over the world. Yeah, it, it, exactly, mate. It's it's um, it's a shame, but um, I guess yeah, it's just the way society is these days. And and um, yeah, I, I wouldn't like to. I wouldn't like to sort of be under that intense spotlight or or, or what not what it's called these days. But um, unfortunately, that's the way it is. So I suppose players have to adapt to it. And just on that, like, if you were, say, if you were out, say you were out with Bino, your old pal, and you've been out on a, on a session, like, in Sydney, you've watched the game with the Sydney Celtic Supporters Club, like, would you have to get offside then? Or would you be aware, look, I, I can't really be seen to be, would you just have to go off somewhere else or, you know, keep a low profile? Yeah, to a degree. I pretty much, when I was with them, we pretty much just stayed at the cheese bar and um, everyone was pretty sound in there, you know, like, it was. Just have a few drinks in there and and and, and let the night go away. But um, it's a lot worse these days than it is is back then. So, like I said, I feel sorry for players these days who, you know, it would be, it'd be pretty hard to sort of go and have a beer and try and enjoy your night out these days. Which is a shame, really, because I know over here, as I said, I was speaking to the to the older players, like you know, they they enjoyed it, they always enjoyed it. But now the younger players now, and as well as that, the club, you know, the club are like. They don't want them to be really out socialising because they don't want them to get a bad rep, you know, and bring the name of the club down or whatever. So that kind of you, know, you don't really like. I suppose the players from from Henrik's time and that are probably the last players that you know you would see out and about or mixing with the fans. The more modern day player now is just so distant. And with Celtic moving out to Lennox Town, when they used to train in in, in Barrowfield, people had a chance of a glimpse of them or whatever. But now really all they have to meet are heroes, especially the kids is on a match day for maybe 10, 15 minutes after the game. What, what was it like when you were playing? Like, you know, what was the relationship with the fans? Yeah, look, you know, fans would come in and watch you train and, you know, you you sort of, you'd have signing sessions and days where you sort of be designated for the fans to come along and, and meet players and, and whatnot. And, you know, you'd see, play, you'd see players at after-match functions and things like that. So, um, sport, I suppose, you know, it was probably, we're probably a bit more, you know, I could I could imagine what it's like over there in terms of um, you know, Celtic a massive club and everything like that. But I suppose we're probably more a bit more when when I was a player a bit more approachable for fans to come and meet or have photos with and and get to know. But it it has changed a fair bit though. Players are under the spotlight, and you know, someone could take a photo and and make it out to be something it's not, and you know, the papers get a hold of it and stuff like that. And yeah, some players just get crucified in the media these days too. And when you were playing over there, it was predominantly Australian players, or do, do any players come over from England or from elsewhere? We had a few English lads, but yeah, it's predominantly um, Aussies and Kiwis and, and, and Islanders, really. 
Yeah, no, I just I was just wondering because I'd imagine coming for some players come to Celtic and obviously because it's such a big club, it takes them a long time to settle in and get the feel of what Celtic is all about and the pressure that's on. You have to win every game, you know. Finishing second runner-up in the league is just the same as finishing last. It's no good. You've got to be top. Celtic are under pressure every year for the top dogs. And we were just speaking recently, like one of the lads was saying to me yesterday, after he listened to the Matt McClellan podcast, he was saying, you know, all the young fans should really listen to this because it wasn't always successful and we should be so thankful of the success Celtic are having now. Yeah, mate. I, I, um, you know, I, remember, I remember a lot of times when, you know, not winning titles and, and getting beat by, you know, getting beat by Rangers in, in games and, and um, things like that. So it's... Um, this, this sort of past nine years, hopefully it's ten and, and and going on. It's a remarkable, it's a remarkable run. You know, we've got to appreciate it and enjoy it because um, it's pretty, it's a pretty, it's a pretty special effort. And um, you know, I think as fans, we just got to appreciate how, how really special it is. Yeah, I, when we ran the festival in Thailand in March, there was obviously a lot of Aussie-based Celtic fans and, and a couple from New Zealand. And it's only then you really get to when you get time to sit down and have a beer with them. You can see, uh, we all know Celtic's a worldwide club and it's recognisable all around the world, but it's only then you get, like, you sit down with some of the boys and, like, the dedication from so far away to, you know, run these clubs and host events and do charity events and everything. So it's it's so lucky that there is a community there, a Celtic community within Sydney and within other places in Australia. And very seldom Celtic will travel that far, but they did travel with Neil Lennon when he was his first stint in charge as manager. How important like, is that trip for the likes of you and, and fans that are based down in Australia? It was massive. It was it was huge. Um, you know, they got a massive crowd at the game and everything. Um, I think, um, you know, you, you sort of, especially for people like people like me, myself, who are Australians, sort of growing up in Australia, obviously got, you know, Scottish Scottish background and whatnot, but um, you probably don't think you're going to get that chance to sort of watch Celtic in the flesh or, you know what I mean, have, have them on your doorstep. So it was, you know, a lot of, obviously there's a lot of Irish and Scottish and, expats that live here who've obviously gone to Celtic games as you know in the past but it was huge you know you see Celtic jerseys and stuff everywhere in Australia you see people you know you, you bump into people all the time wearing Celtic clothes and, and whatnot so they're, they're a huge club when the news broke that they were coming over it must be some buzz oh yeah mate how long ago was that now the 2011 that's a long time ago now but yeah it was it was, it was a massive buzz it was um it was huge Ho- hopefully hopefully um hopefully it happens again soon at, at some stage you know yeah, I remember speaking to Tom over better and he said, uh, he said it was a long journey over, but they were looked after. They were, they were, they, I think they offered a business class or whatever, you know. He said they were looked after. And then, obviously, Scott was on the podcast and he was captain, I think, then. So that must have been a huge honour for him because he grew up, as, like you, you know, with Scottish background. And to, to go back as captain of Celtic and captain of the team in, the, in, his, in his country of his bed must have been some buzz for him. Oh, I would have been, mate. And... Geez, how good was he at Celtic too, man? He was, he was, he was definitely one of my favourite players too. Uh, obviously, having that Australian link, you know, but he saw, he scored some massive goals for us, obviously. So I did, yeah. And like, I suppose the first one to come was Viduka, and uh, a quality player. But obviously, it was when John Barnes was there and Henrik was injured, and there was a few bits and pieces, and he didn't maybe have the contribution that we thought he would have. Uh, and then Scott comes along, who I suppose. No, he wasn't very popular with the Celtic fans before he arrived, but he became yeah. popular with his goals. And what a season he had in his fourth season. I think he was he was top scorer. He was nominated for player of the year. I think Aidan McGeady won it that year. So like for him to come and he was very realistic and uh, honest when when we done the podcast because 
he thought his chance had gone at that level. Then he got a break at Motherwell, obviously scored the goals. And then he said he never thought Celtic would come knocking on the door because of the goals he scored against them. And then he came and he, and he grabbed it with two hands, two feet, jumped in and loved his time there. Obviously left a little, I suppose, maybe a little early under Tony Mowbray. But he was his interview was brilliant and so honest. For him to get the position he did at Celtic and to score all the goals, it must have got uh, it must have built the profile even more of, of Celtic in Australia. Yeah, de- definitely. He, you know, obviously having an Aussie playing over there, he sort of Celtic got a run on on sport on the on the news and the sports sort of sports news section a fair bit. So it was it definitely built the profile, and um, you know, you, you, everyone pretty much kept tabs on Celtic because because he was there, you know. Yeah, no, you you had been back. You you got a chance to see Celtic in the flesh in Glasgow before your transfer to these Rhinos, or was it was it? No, so I like Celtic came out two thousand and eleven. I actually went to a meet meet and greet with Neil Lennon. Um, who else was there? Uh, Joe Ledley and, and and Sean Maloney at at the supporters club. But I was that that was actually the time when I was playing for State of Origin for New South Wales, so I couldn't actually get to the game because I was in camp. But um, yeah, the first game I actually saw Celtic Celtic play was was against Rangers at Hampden in the cup the cup um, semi final. I think it was the year before they got promoted to the top league again, and actually we actually lost on um, penalty shootout in, oh, at so Hampden. Yeah, Ronnie Delia was that what manager then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was my first. That was my first ever Celtic game. Yeah, so it wasn't the best start, but there was, you know every game after that was 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 pretty sound. So it's an unbelievable time now to be a Celtic fan. Looking back at the nine in a row, three managers, three trebles, plenty of silverware, players coming and going. We've made big money signing. We, we, we brought players in for very little. So the scouting system's been brilliant. Big version and Dyke now is one of the greatest players in the world at the moment. Victor Wanyama, Dembele, all sold on for big profits. And then so many memories from all those games, the results and, and players. What players stick out for you and what results stick out for you during that nine in a row? Scott Brown. Um, I love Bruni, just his intensity and everything, you know, everything he does for the club. Cap, you know, the captain, he's just the leader. Um, you know, he's just in the middle of everything. Obviously him. I love Dembele. He, he was unreal. He, watching him at, at Celtic was, you know, I got to see him in the flesh, obviously, when I, when I went up to watch him. He was something special. I think he's pretty much close to being world, world class. He's, he's going to compete at the highest level. Being there, you know, look, um, Edwards, he's he's class. Tommy Rodgick, obviously another Aussie. Um, been able to sort of, you know, been a been an Aussie Celtic fan and watching him play, and you know, he, he does some special things. But just yeah, mate, just been able to watch him lift trophies and and uh, be the best best in the country. You know, was it everything you thought it would be when you come over when you come up to the games? You know, the the atmosphere before the games, during the games, after the games, the banter, the pubs. Was it everything you thought? Or was yeah, it, was it different? Was it- it was mainly well before and after games. It was mainly with you and all your crew, you know, at the Artos. <laughs> it was a good laugh, mate. It was, mate, it was awesome. Um, you know, walking walking into sort of Celtic Rangers games and you know seeing the police barricades and the fans not getting anywhere near each other. You know, in, in Australia rugby league, if your best mate goes to the other team, you go to the game together and you you know you, you watch the game. You sit next to each other and have a beer and have a laugh and and whatnot. But it's just. It's tribal and it's just so intense over there. So, yeah, it was it was it's pretty pretty amazing atmosphere. And you mentioned Tom Rogers there. Tom, I suppose, won, won a talent competition basically to be a footballer. You know, he won one of these soccer camp 
we'll have our competitions. That's how we became, you know, I suppose the his first break. What's it like there? Like, what's does has he a high profile in Australia? You know, is he in the news a lot? Well, I, th- I definitely think if you're a sort of you know like a soccer football fan that um, you know who he is, you obviously know who he is and and whatnot. Like I said earlier, soccer doesn't. Well, football, as you call it, doesn't get the profile that rugby league gets here. You know, if you open the sports section, the first sort of like you know, first three or four pages will all be rugby league. Then soccer might get a get a page. So, but if you know, you definitely know who Tom Roderick is if if, if you're a soccer fan and or a sports fan because he, he pops up and you know, obviously him playing the Celtic sort of pops up on the on the sports programs a fair bit. Uh, and Scott McDonald's up with Brisbane Raw now. Is there a is there a soccer team in in Sydney? Yeah, there is. So there's Sydney FC and there's and there's Western Sydney as well. Um, I don't watch too much of the Australian Australian league to be honest, but um, you know they're they're two of the biggest clubs in the country though. They're in the top flight. Yeah, they are. Yeah. So Sydney Sydney FC is the original team, and then um, they're sort of from from my part of Sydney, which is sort of like, and then Western Sydney started a team, which is sort of Western Sydney. Um, so then Sydney FC and Western Sydney have have a pretty intense sort of matches against each other now. And finally, Keith, uh, I can't let you go without getting some gossip on Beena. <laughs> Beena, geez, what can we say about Beena, mate? It's got, we've got to keep it G-rated, don't we? Uh, we have to keep it generally rated, yeah. We can't give him too much stick, you know. I thought you would have been nah, able to He's told me a few about you, but I can't say to him now. <laughs> uh, mate, he's a, top, he's a top lad, man. I'll, I'll let him off lightly. Um, he's a bit hard to understand at times, isn't he? Especially after he's had a few, but he's a good laugh. <laughs> <laughs> that strong north, you know, northern accent, northern, northern accent, mate. So, but no, he's good. I actually miss him, mate. He's he's, he's a good lad. We we still speak pretty regularly, so ah, he's a good, good fellow. Ah, he's top boy. He's top boy. I love I love I love getting a few beers with Beano. Uh, Keith, it's been a it's been a pleasure to chat. It's been a long time. Um, hopefully you can come back on and chat to us again. But now that you're retired from the game, maybe we might see it in Thailand in 2022. The festival. Oh well, yeah, mate. That sounds a bit. Uh, bit more feasible to get there than sort of all the way over there and the weather might be a bit better too mate Scott McDonald's talking about coming as well so you know the invitation's going out now so keep keep that free in your diary and hopefully we'll have it once we get over the COVID we'll have it all sussed and, and all planned out for 2022 so Paddy's Day in, in Thailand make it a day sounds good mate I'm there Kate as I said a pleasure but we'll talk again and hopefully we can talk during the 10 in a row season and hopefully we do that 10 in a row and Scott Brown. We, we will. We'll get there, mate. And as you said about Scott Brown, wouldn't it be just great to see him lifting that trophy again, you know, 10 in a row. What a time to be a Celtic fan. Oh, mate, it's awesome, mate. We've really got to enjoy these times because it's, um, mate, the players on the pitch are doing a remarkable job and, you know, we'll keep backing them. The fans are always there as well, mate. They're the best fans in the world, so I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Well, listen, Keith, as I said, thanks very much for talking to us and we'll talk to you soon. Hail, hail. Cheers, mate. Hail, hail. Thanks to Keith for taking time out to chat to us today. It's always interesting to chat to Celtic fans from around the globe and I would like to wish Keith all the best for his retirement from a very tough sport. Thanks once again to everyone who visited our website CelticFanzine.com and bought some of the Celtic Soul Clubber and a couple of fanzines sold as well the weekend so thank you very much. You'll be the talk of the terrace when you get the new t-shirts on. All the weekend's orders have been dispatched and keep an eye out for new designs and new lines coming within the next number of weeks. Your continued support means we can continue to create free content, both written and spoken. And we are really looking forward to getting back to doing some live shows when it's safe to do so. The podcast is available on all platforms, Apple, Acast, Spotify, etc. So please subscribe 
and follow us so you never miss an episode of the Celtic Soul Podcast. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Thanks again to our sponsor, Brian Cunningham from BC Services. If your business or supporters club would like to sponsor an episode, please get in touch. The email is info at celticfanzine.com. And once again, I have to thank my producer, Ronan McQuillan. Top job as always. The most important people are the listeners. And without them, there is no show. So thank you so much. Keep the comments coming in. And don't forget to let us know your story and who you'd like us to get in the podcast. We are looking forward to doing some face-to-face interviews when travel restrictions allow us. It has been a pleasure to chat to everyone through the great technologies we have now, but nothing beats face-to-face. I'm sure it'll be a good excuse for myself and our guest and Ronan to have another point. The podcast will be back on Friday with episode 15, when we will be paying tribute to Jack Charlton, a working-class hero who never forgot his roots. Played against Celtic, won a World Cup and took Ireland to three major competitions when we were all part of Jackie's army. Celtic are back in action this week and it's hard to believe what has come and gone since we left Celtic Park back in March after we beat St Mirren. We have no pre-season trip to France with the players this time, but we can watch on TV. Celtic kick off on Thursday against Nice at 5.15pm. The game will be shown on Premier Sports and also on Celtic TV for non-UK Ireland subscribers. And I have to say I'm looking forward to sitting down to watch it. Keep the faith and stay safe. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.